0: Okay, welcome to the Addict Static Podcast, where we take your calls, answer your questions uh, about just about anything. I'm Ray. I'm Adam.
1: Gary here. I'm Johnny. And I am Ed.
0: So uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, we're happy to take your questions. The number is 386-956-05, or sorry, 0754, um, or jump on the uh, live feed on YouTube at Addict Static. Just look up Addict Static on on YouTube. And... um, I think today with a little icebreaker we're going to do here, I'm going to start. Um, so, uh, Wayne, Noah, and I just went to New Hampshire for a couple of days. So, um, we went to visit some friends who retired a few years ago. Um, they invited us up there, um, just to go and hang out. So, um, so we went up Tuesday morning, uh, it was about a five hour drive. We spent three days hiking, biking, playing pickleball as usual, um, what do we do here? I got a few things here. Uh, we went out in the lake in the kayaks and paddle boards. We had Thai food. We had Mexican food. Uh, we sat out on the deck uh, in a really dark sky in their backyard and watched uh, the Perseid meteor shower Thursday night. It wasn't quite the peak, but uh, but it was cool. Um, killed a wasp nest. Actually, we didn't. We picked up a wasp nest and moved it to the backyard and put it out in the woods so we didn't have to kill them all. That was um, so nice. So we did that. We fixed their fireplace uh, or showed them how to use their fireplace. Um pilot light. We fixed the lock on their door that they hadn't figured out to you yet. So they just moved into this house and they haven't figured out all this stuff yet. So um, it was a a big house. um, Easily over (laughs) 3000 square feet had an 11 zone baseboard heating system.
2: Nice.
0: And um, they're desperately trying to figure out how to lower all their costs. So I'm going to bleed this over into a little topic here. Um, So the one question they have is what are they going to do about that? Right? They've got oil heat. They don't want oil, high carbon footprint. um, um, solar panels being installed on the roof while we were there. So we got to watch them for three days, putting up the racks and doing all that stuff. Um, and um, But the whole time we talked about this, um, you know, how are they going to reduce their bills? How are they going to get rid of oil in the house? Uh, and I'm looking at Johnny here, right? Because they have everything is relatively new. But they've got this beat up old oil burning furnace, you know, in the in the basement hooked up <laughs> to everything and making hot water. Um,
2: so it is circulating hot
0: water. Yes, yeah, circulating hot and water. Like steam. Not steam and, yeah, no radiators, none of that stuff.
2: Hmm.
0: So, um, so that's the question to you, Johnny. What, what, do, you, what do you do?
2: So because it's, the, the quickest answer is because it's circulating hot water, I would say um, a new style, um, high efficiency combo boiler. Um, and then the only issue with that is, is you'd have to have given me what's the BTU of the existing furnace.
3: Can you explain what a combo boiler is? Yeah.
2: Uh, so uh the furnace industry i guess has been evolving and um the springboard to what i'm about to explain were the tankless water heaters so in the united states they were they're always <coughs> popular in europe but they have trickled down into the united states and um, a lot of people don't know that you could buy a box probably five times the size deep and well maybe not that well, let's give it let's give a better. What, what would you say, Ray? 18 or 24 by 18 would be a the, typical the tankless no, tankless water heater, yeah, yeah.
3: St- sticking so out frame. about six eight inches yeah. from the so wall. If you could imagine, hang it like, like a that, picture
2: frame, yeah, uh, they hang it on the wall and then you run your gas, you run your in and your out, um, water to it, and it you no longer house 50, 7,500 gallons of water on a reserve that obviously. While you're away from home, this thing is losing temperature, reheating, losing temperature, reheating. And then if you have only one bathroom and let's say five sisters, like my cousin's husband, by the time he got to his uh, bath, he had no hot water. Everyone has experienced that. A tankless hot water heater makes hot water on demand. And they use that design and they added a whole other section to the unit. And now you can get the hot water that just like Gary's makes. But instead of it um, having to fire up this big um, furnace part with multiple burners, it is a nice encapsulated uh, burning mechanism with a very high efficiency um, heat exchange inside. And what it does, it makes (laughs) hot water on demand for your heating in your home. The issue with that is that usually they're one to one. So if they have 11 zones, I would have to know how large that boiler was. So for a 3,000 square foot home i'm assuming that's somewhere around if it's really old too it's probably around 275 to 375 thousand btus so with that most of the time you want to cascade these systems so you would put one they have communication systems and then you just tie them together
0: you'd have to have one on each zone
2: no not really you're just taking the whole total but if i knew the total and you know where the zones are compared to where the people live, then you would make the correct calculation. Okay. So you're not wasting it. And well, just to
3: clarify, the, the combination then is the ability to provide domestic hot water and, and heat and the house exactly.
2: No One they're two ga- different they're two different loops, though. So you mentioned gas, way. though.
3: I'm assuming they don't have
4: gas, so then it'd be electric.
0: No, hold on. So they do have a propane tank outside that their fireplaces and their stove work off. So you could switch them to propane. Um, the question is, is, is it better to be on oil or propane? But hold on, Ed had a question.
1: Yeah, so when, a couple of years ago, we were actually looking into getting the tankless water heater for our residential home. And the plumber we were working with had explained to us that we actually couldn't because all of our utilities in our basement are centrally located and that we needed to have the tankless water heater mounted on an external wall and we didn't have that because all of our utilities were in the center of the basement and he said you you'd have to change that and put your utilities well, by the external
3: well, wall." well all you would have to move is your water line
1: uh yeah well he said it would have to be mounted on the external wall so yeah, the, the so.
3: heater has to has
0: to have vent outside right which is why he's saying that right but it doesn't mean you couldn't just plumb the water line, like Adam said, to yeah. that heater, wherever it is, and right. external an additional wall. Cost. To,
3: just to right. clarify, it's the inside of the house, just an external wall. So if you've got correct. a basement, it's that's you correct. know typically on a
2: on a block wall. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so
4: back to you said propane. Could, what about electricity? I mean, you can the, these high efficiency tankless are electric as well.
2: Right? No, that um, they are. That that's not an option when it comes to, in my opinion, uh, keeping it. Um, Cost cost effect. What what
3: size solar array does he have? Is it enough to power the house and then some? Actually, they didn't even know, but I can tell you in one second. It is,
0: uh, what is, 25 times 400. 10. 24. 24.
3: 10,000. So it's a 10-megawatt system. Yeah. So that's probably not going to have a a lot extra, unless there's only two people there, and they're really power
0: misers. Correct. And that's what I told her. So it is going to only be two people there, but the system was rated... Roughly for the size of, of what they need for, for the house, without doing anything different. So I told her, you probably won't have the the access to do that. Um, and from what I know, those tankless hot water heaters on
2: electric are just electricity. They're brutal. Highs, they're right? brutal. Yeah, yeah they're, it's not an option. Yeah. Um, but what um, size
3: uh, circuit do you need for that? it's a amperage, huh?
2: M- between eighty and a hundred amps yeah. just for that. So that'll take half your panel. Not to mention your every time the thing turns on, the thing will dim your lights. You know, it's a uh, they're, they're very hungry, but um, most of the manufacturers will make a natural gas unit that is very easily convertible, converted to propane. Right. Um, right
0: that's what we did in the, in the Poconos. We right. two so
2: that's what that's what I would do. But more importantly, like a lot of the questions, the more um, specific information, what is the existing BTU? Is it, I'm, I'm assuming it's an 80% uh, efficient unit. If you looked at it, did it have a big chimney sticking out of it, right? So that's 80. The benefit is that if you're willing to pay the money, they go from 91, 93, 95, 97, 98% efficient. And the only variation uh, so that people understand when you burn natural gas that efficiently, it condenses. So it just adds another um, condensate pump and you have to pump that out. But the benefit of it is that, and I could give you examples, if that house had a very large Uh, chimney uh, and built uh, walls around it, and let's say it was in general space, when you convert the entire house to uh, high efficiency, you get a three inch or two inch uh, flue, which is um, schedule 40 PVC. You just run it through, you know, the rafters in the basement and out the, the, the side of the house with a little 45 down. And like we did with my brother's house, when we converted it, he gained all that chimney space, right? And it just happened to be in the middle of his kitchen. So now we were able to gut the whole kitchen, get rid of the chimney. And that was one of the plans that I had in the three family. When I converted the whole house, the three family chimney was about the size of this table. And it went through each floor. So, and your hot
3: water heater didn't use that same flue? No, because I converted that, that to okay to, Yeah. So when and you stayed in the
2: basement. Thing, right, yeah. stayed in the basement, right? So, so
3: I, wait, what did you convert the hot water heater to? A tankless.
2: Tankless. Yeah, got it. So that one had a two-inch. It went right out. Mm-hmm. I put it on the on the side wall, small pipe coming out. And then my plan was when each apartment came empty, I would then add that space to the apartment. Unfortunately, or fortunately. It's in sold the house. In, no, in 15 years, I never had an empty apartment.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: So I never felt the need to do it. But we, we've done it. And that's one of the side benefits. And like I said, the older houses had very large um, built And they usually went through right the center of the house.
3: Chimneys, yeah. So let's let's go back to this question here. You you described how uh, a conversion to propane could be made. Why is that any better? That's still a a hydrocarbon. Is that more efficient? Is it cheaper? Why bother?
2: From oil? Well, one, uh, oil, you need a distribution network. And, you know, the trucks have to come, drop it off. If you run out in the middle of the night, um, some of them... You know, it's it's just another nuisance. Whereas if it's piped to your house, well, no, but we're talking, we're talking
0: propane. Propane tanks. This is not natural
2: gas. They're yeah, n- but, but propane tanks have to be filled, right? Yeah, so right. So you come. still have right. a truck but coming the, to fill the the propane system that I've seen and um, I've seen in places they have those sensors and stuff, and they call out and it happens automatically. Whereas at least in this town, most of the the oil, it's visual by the owner, and if you if you're not paying attention and it goes down you sort of out of luck if it happens in the middle of the night so one of the things I've seen with propane is that they have those systems I think I saw it in, in one of the houses in your house
0: they have a little thing on them I know what you're talking about yes yeah it has a little so at least you have thing.
2: that but I mean to answer your question in reference to natural gas I believe one of the, the benefits if you could I mean there's money to be to be said about it um, when you get up to around 98 percent natural gas has been so cheap that um sorry um i think there's a there's a case to be made that it's it's readily available it's very cheap and it doesn't cause you inconveniences
0: right so natural gas is probably your best bet when you're more rural like these places it's propane or oil right that's the choice and you got to look at the cost of your oil if you're companies have the remote sensing and all that kind well, of stuff. Well, let right? me, let me tell also, you one particular, I apologize. So hold on a second. You guys can walk through instead of tiptoeing. Go ahead. It's okay. we, have it's yeah, we, we have a live
3: studio audience today. If everyone um, out there can maybe keep it down just a little bit. Um, so, so Caitlin,
0: and first, Al, Al, while, I, yeah. while
2: they're situating themselves, um, <laughs> I would just say that, that these are questions that sometimes pose, you sometimes need to, to think through them because there's a lot, as you can see just in the conversation, there's a lot of options. But there, I'll tell you my personal, and sometimes I'll I'll answer it, taking my personal thing in the head without telling everyone, but I'll take the time because of this uh, little pause. I do not, and I have to say that I, well, I'll say it the right way, I hate oil <laughs> gas. I hate and how it, it smells. Oil, Oil teal. heating, I'm sorry. Okay. Oil heating is annoying it has a lot more components. Um, it smells, uh, if you're working on it, it makes a little bit of a mess. There's a lot of, a lot more prep work you have to do when you're working on it. Um, it's just, it's, uh, it's annoying. You also have a bit of an environmental hazard depending on what
3: state you're in and when the house was built, you could have a buried oil tank. Correct. Uh, and if that leaks, which many of them do, yep. you know, that's probably, that could be another twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 to clean up if you're lucky and it didn't uh, right. Get into the groundwater. So on Easy. that
0: on that topic, I got an email today from a co- ex co-worker who was going through a leaky oil tank problem in uh, North Jersey over the last couple of months. Um, testing, it's in the, they found leaks is in the water. They're drilling. They're propping up the porch to be able to dig under the house, and they found she finally got the bill today, thirty two thousand is her share after insurance is paying for whatever else they're uh-huh. paying for.
3: Exactly. Do you have right. a sense of the total bill or how much insurance covered? I'd have, have to read the total bill email.
0: was thirty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing: when she bought the house twenty years ago, it, they got a certificate that said tank was removed, everything's good, you're good, right? Wow. And then now somebody they did a the test or whatever when she was going to sell the house, and it's not so good. And that company that did the certificate doesn't exist, and she's still paying thirty two thousand dollars.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, so I've oil
0: oil has its I've, its issues, right? Now this in this case, oil tanks in the basement, it's it's clean,
2: it's pretty, it looks great. I, I don't mean lot, to put you right. with, with the numbers, but there is the calculation, right? For one BTU of each oil yeah. wins. Oil wins. Oil wins. I get all that. But I've when you know, usually people will call me after three or four people have gone to their house and haven't been able to fix it. When they call me and it's an oil burn, I'm like oh, I just I just don't like them, um, so. Sorry
4: when I called you for mine. Well, you're like oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> and look, just
2: because there's more
3: BTUs per unit volume doesn't mean it's cheaper, right? The cost per. Oh, it's BTU much. Is, and is and I could different. say when
2: I moved into Market Street, it was oil. I was paying in 2005, 580 dollars a month in oil because it was three floors, right? So then little by little I went um, dividing them, but. Before I divided the three, I converted all three floors, right? Uh-huh. Before I switched for probably a whole season to natural gas, and it went down to $175. That's the, the variation. So I don't even use that as an <clears throat> option when I start to explain things. I, I don't like it. So, but it is in the conversation, right? Yeah. If you don't have that option. Well, we sorry. have a
3: question yeah. about, uh, from a caller about the value of emergency standby generators. Anyone want to opine on that?
1: We have one. It's actually uh, not one that's connected to our home. But it's actually one that you know, plug, you know, things into. So we actually bought that quite a while ago. So
3: this is not a standby generator. This is a portable generator that, that you correct. manually you, would fire up and then to just plug
1: a refrigerator right. into it. Yeah, or just the basic needs, yeah, refrigerator or whatever the basic needs. But you are don't have a,
0: a sub panel, no. no, you just run extension cords. That's right. correct, right? And that's, that's the correct. simple, easy way to do simple, it. Simple, easy. Right? If all you care about is your your freezer and your fridge and just a of lights. the right. problem if you're not
3: home when you lose power. You know, maybe maybe you lose some food in the freezer or refrigerator, and if you're dependent on sun pumps to keep your basement dry, you you could be out of luck there too.
1: And I think if there's a greater need, then maybe you need to evaluate maybe something different. But for us, there isn't that much of a greater need. You know, we've had instances where we've used it. I could probably just count on my hand those instances, and it's worked out and served its purpose.
2: But I would still ask if there's depth to the question, why are they asking? Any thoughts on standalone generators because I want to do, but, but, but what?
1: Well,
4: hopefully it's because, well, not hopefully, but it's probably because they lose power a lot. Well, so I'll, I think I'll,
2: it
0: depends on how often you're losing power. So I could, I'll bring that back because at the same place we were just visiting in New Hampshire, that was the other part of the conversation because they do lose power every once in a while. And they actually talked about getting a a generator for the house. Oh Wait,
3: they just moved in and they're saying? One year
0: ago. Okay, and in that year, they've lost power several times. Three times. But when they first moved in, they talked to the neighbor across the street and he said, oh, don't bother with the generator, we never lose power. And then three times in the past year.
2: The only thing that I would add, um, and if anyone does any type of research, you'll find out and I'll I'll explain. There's you're going to run into generators that are $800 and you're going to run into the same capacity generator that's $4,000. And more than likely, it's going to say it's inverted. So an inverted generator actually cleans the power, converts it to DC, cleans it, and then reconverts it inverter back.
3: inverter just means it's quieter. No. In- inverted means you take, that's why you need it for your solar panels, right? Because your solar panels generate DC power. You need an inverter to invert that power wave to AC. Correct. and. Right. An an inverter generator is also much quieter. That's right. That's why but, all the generators
4: but, that are inverters but, are quieter. But and that's just, gonna that's tell you just why. the
2: design, yeah. right? But let's, let's not, one thing has nothing to do with the other. So the key is, is why would you need that? All the modern TVs, not as much the, the, well, let's just say all the modern TVs. You're not supposed to put computerized equipment on these uh, stand, standalone non-inverter generators because the, the power quality is horrible. There's no other word for it. If you were to put an oscilloscope on it, yeah. it's, it's nasty. So you just got to keep that into consideration. Eight hundred dollars, yes, it'll get you through uh, some pumps, refrigerators, stuff like that. But if you're gonna, if it's, it's going to be a long outage, and you have to start using different things. You want to spend the extra money for that. The the noise attenuation is just a completely different thing. That they're much better made, and they're they're usually insulated, and they're usually encapsulated. There's different um, things incorporated, but they're usually two times to three times yeah, the yeah. price.
0: So when we had, um, we had the house in Piscataway in that and it was rented out and had people there and that basement would flood once in a while, right? So we had the sump pumps in there and I had a backup generator, just like what Ed described, you know, a portable one in the garage, plug in the extension cords and keep your freezer going. Um, so instead of dealing with the sump pump problem, we just put a battery backup on the sump pump itself, right? So then it just stays on no matter what. Right. Um, and I just paid the 125 bucks a year service for those guys to come out and like check the batteries every year and clean it up, make sure it's fine. And just never think about it again.
3: They we- won't run for an extended outage though. Those are typically good for one to three days.
2: Yeah. Um, I've it never had to, of course, never yeah. had to use it. So I don't know. But let's, um, Ray, let's take an example that we did at Ray's house. And if he was to have the space. To do it, we put a transfer switch. He has a automatic start standby generator. Just like Ed's. Just Just like Ed's. As long as it's, I don't know if yours is automatic start.
1: It has that option on there. Right. So
2: automatic start. So usually if you buy the right transfer switch, the minute the power goes, the transfer switch has an auxiliary normally open contact, and that'll start your standby generator. And we did all that. He doesn't have it permanently connected. Right. But if he did have it permanently connected, that would save him if he was away for, like you said, as much as the um, the load is, and I think most of them you'd probably get. You were right, like two to three days if the load wasn't massive, you know, if there was nobody home. Yeah, so I, I think you
3: got to consider, Gary, as you said, how often are you losing power? Number one, um, do you have a situation where if you lose power and you got high groundwater, you're going to flood? That's an extra concern. And then secondly, how able are you to fire up a portable generator? um, Or do you need the automatic one? Yeah. Which is hands off, really, but just pay to get it um, maintained every year.
2: Do do we want to do we want to kill this topic and go on an off-grid generator system as an option? instead of the I was thinking we generate? could get,
3: do another hour on changing ceiling fans. But <laughs> if, you, if you really want to go there, OK. Yeah. So
2: right. that, that a lot of people don't know that that's an option, right? So most of the mainstream solar solar need 220 from the grid to actually work. To work. Correct. Or well, they sell off-grid. So hold on. So and so that's,
3: safe, that's for safety purposes. Just, just want right. to ex, explain. So just to be clear, this mo-
0: a design almost every solar panel system that you see on somebody's roof will not work if the power's out. Right. Right. Well, most, most of them. I would say. Yeah, most, 90. 99. 90 9, 99, whatever. Right, right. Um, so they will not work. And that's a shock to a lot of people, right? Like, why? Well, I thought I had this because, you know, yeah. it's going to help and it's not going to help, but it's a safety reason, right? You don't want to be putting power into the grid through your house from your solar panels out to your, to the street when there's some guy down the road trying to fix the power lines after a a hurricane or whatever e- you
3: know. even as a practical joke it, it's not a good idea <laughs> <laughs> right right so they're designed to hurt automatically somebody. but there are, there they are they shut themselves right, off exactly. from
0: the grid so that that can't happen right. but right.
3: that's because it's normally connected to the grid and i think what what you're saying johnny is that well you could have a system that's completely Correct. disconnected from the grid.
2: Correct. And yep. then the only other component, obviously, you'd have to source that. And um, finding off-grid generators is not that simple. It's not super difficult, but it's not like you just call someone up and get it, number one. And then two, you would have to have a battery bank somewhere close to your system that houses that Um Excess. You can do that with a Tesla wall, right? Exactly. If you've got a solar I, on your roof, yeah.
3: you, they can be charging your batteries, yeah. and then you would have exactly. generator backup to that. And,
2: and very common in the Caribbean and all the uh, places where a lot of storms go through.
3: When you charge a Tesla battery, how long will it last? Uh, well, it, we're talking a Tesla battery in a car or a no, Tesla no, Wall. wall. Well, the idea
2: is it's always
3: kept topped off. Mm-hmm. Let's
4: say you lose, let's say the sun goes out. It's nighttime for three days.
0: Depends depends on how much <laughs> battery
3: <laughs> you've purchased, right? But it
0: depends on the size of the battery. It depends on what you're doing. If, are you using air conditioning in your house and turning everything on or are you turning everything off, right? So you can't really say how long it'll last without knowing how you're using it.
3: Yeah. Right? I mean, d- generally, it's it's days, maybe a week or more. It's not
1: hours and it's not months. Right. For the portable generators, I can tell you from my experience, there are a couple drawbacks, some negatives and limitations on there. You know, first of all, because they are noisy, you have to be considerate, you know, with your neighbors. Nobody wants to hear that thing running in the middle of the night.
2: So but again, of
3: operations are going to be limited. If you don't have power, it's likely your neighbors don't either. Right. I, I
2: can right. tell you how I solve it. So
0: you
3: that. just run an extension cord to That's
0: your neighbor's house.
2: That's what you do. You run it to your neighbor's plug house. Plug in
1: their freezer, and they're happy to hear you. Yeah, right, but right. you have 360 yeah. neighbors, and you don't have that many uh, extension. You, every couple hours, you move it. <laughs> you tell them, the hey, buddy, house. next yeah.
2: year, it's
3: your turn. <laughs> yeah. Next outage. Yeah. <laughs> the other issue is gasoline, right? right. Because nope. if you've got it in... Propane? We went for the propane generator. No, 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 that's Uh, that's fine. A lot of of them are are, are gasoline, and you're not running your generator every day or every week, hopefully not every month, and gas can get old. So you've got to put fuel stabilizer in it for any period of storage. In fact, when you put your generator away, when the power comes back, add some fuel stabilizer. Or just don't go there.
1: The other problems with it is the few times that we have had to use it is within severe storms. So you have to run extension cords out there, which means somewhere around the house, there's got to be cracked door, cracked window, something to get it outside because you're not putting the portable unit in your home. And so because of that, it's during that, you know, heavy storm. So trying to make sure that the water's not getting in at the same time you're trying to get the extension cord out
3: can be challenging. And also not in your garage. Yeah, but all Lots lots of stories about
2: that. And, And another thing, obviously, most people have to get an electrician, but people... Most people will tell me, oh, you can't use a transfer switch on a portable generator, and you can. And maybe that's an investment that you'll make, and no. you don't have to do that.
0: We did that. That's what we did online. So um, I have an eyeball on that. all.
3: Just, just
2: pause <laughs> for a second. A
0: any, any questions from the audience?
3: Any, any
2: see, um, You guys have um,
3: anything? In, in, in the back, oh, no. I don't think we have any yet. What, no. One other limitation. No, on the don't be shy. Generators. Don't be shy.
1: They typically have the wheels on the one side, and you tip it back and roll, which works pretty nice. Um, sometimes those wheels break. And when they do, then it's sometimes a challenge
2: to move them. So okay, that, there, that there's a, a there's an aisle specifically for that in Home Depot. So oh, don't worry, and they're really cheap five bucks a ton. I, I don't. Think that I, I just use my dolly. no. I my just use my dolly. Harbor Freight. Can kind of put on as well. Dolly yeah, the exactly. So it worked yeah. out. I'm getting to be a fan of Harbor
3: Freight lately. A lot
2: of people are. Yeah,
3: Congrats. can. um they're not a sponsor yet, but they could be.
2: Neither is Tesla. <laughs> Put but in a bid. It's good that you mentioned uh, the battery.
3: Have yeah. you just found Harbor Freight? Because I've been using that for years. I, I've known that it's around for years, but it's only the last maybe two or so that I've
2: I've really been. Or it probably took you a while to convince enough. yourself that it's not just cheap stuff and I could use it, right? Yeah. It's you know, stuff. expensive stuff.
1: they get some good stuff there. I bought a laser guide for a power saw there at Harbor Freight. But I just use it for a different purpose. <laughs> use it for, st- Star, it for Wars yeah, I mean, like Star Wars or something. Yeah, there you go. I Star Wars Playing X-Wing on the board. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I, I,
3: and, and then if you lose, you can <laughs> saw the guy's arm off. With the, yeah, that's
1: good. When I went there, the lady was asking what kind of saw I had. And I was trying to explain to her, well, I don't really use it for my saw. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions on the, uh, on the uh, generators? Everybody's getting a, uh, what are we getting? What is this?
3: Sweet tart rope. This is a sweet tart rope. It looks cool. So we're,
0: looks we're getting- cool. I'll uh, take Ray,
2: seconds. We're getting a question from- That's already on uh, number two.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, we're getting a question, but I don't think we understand the
3: question. Yeah, why-, why When I said gas? gasoline generator, you said, oh, propane's better. Why is propane better? Oh, oh, am getting gasoline, right? I'll tell you so, why he thinks it's better. Go ahead, Gary.
4: Well, for one, you don't have to worry about your gas sitting there and getting all crap inside, and then you go to start and it doesn't start. But propane's more expensive and it, and it burns quicker. So if you're going to actually use it, you have to replace it a lot quicker and you have to keep having more tanks and fill them back up. So it could be better. But at the end of the day, it also could be worse.
3: The could other be- thing about gasoline, if you spill it on your driveway, it will dissolve your driveway. Yep. I had to ride over it back and forth a few times today to, you know, pack it Tap back it down. I don't
2: <laughs> think it's going to work. Well, I'll tell you something else uh, interesting that's always depending on how you look at it. In Sandy, in Perth and Boy, we were out with... Hur- Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy. In this Super area, storm. we were out for three days. And there was no... <laughs> there was no gas. <laughs> he turned the thing on. Hey,
3: turn me back on. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you guys you know why we shouldn't be eating on air. You cause. guys can't
2: hear me, can you? Yes. So to your you, point, you Gary, there was no gas available. I'll take thirds. But there was propane available.
0: I'll give you the bag. Kind so you got to okay. always
2: take that into consideration. The other
0: thing is there's tanks everywhere. Your neighbors all have propane tanks hooked up to their grills.
2: Yeah. That so you, you got more options borrow, in, steel, in extreme whatever. situations. In the, you have a second option. Have another option. So and positive. the other thing, interesting to the caller, whoever asked, um, you could buy uh, standby generators that take both of them, uh, gas and
0: propane. I think mine is
2: gas and propane but You do and have diesel. to make some adjustments. Nope. The one I have downstairs, it has a little switch yep. on it oh. and it says gasoline yeah. or propane, Ooh, and that's fantastic. it. Yep.
1: So the propane is positives and negatives. Yeah. So with
3: propane, uh, the typical uh, size that folks have on their backyard grill is, what, 19-pound tank? Correct. How many of those can you store before you, um, you know, run afoul of some code official?
2: That's a very good question. Um, I, I only know about propane storage for industrial, and you have to have it outside in a controlled um, environment. They sell these cages with locks, and then every year they make you pay $150 permit. We had like, other than that. Well, I don't really don't know. We have like any six ordinances.
3: People could take their kids out of the cage in the basement. Maybe <laughs> use that for the propane storage if they have a lot. What's in
2: these? It's gotta be what, outside. What's in these gummies? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> there can not be some pros. be Some pain. <laughs> I think there's something in these gummies, sticks. <laughs> so, the next
0: leading question here is, um, and, I, and i read about this a little bit. Can you, if you if you own a Tesla, can you use it as a generator to to, to to produce power? Anybody want to start? I couldn't answer that.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know that. <laughs>
0: Adam's got a mouthful, and I, but I think he wants to say yes. So I, I think I did I think read, you can. I think I did read about that. I don't know what the power input output thing. I don't know if there's a cigarette lighter that you plug in with an adapter and then
3: you can plug in an extension cord, but I'm pretty sure. Just like you can pull battery off your car, uh, internal combustion engine car.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. Wouldn't, I wouldn't give any advice on that because that car is expensive. As a general consumer, I would be concerned
1: of does it void the warranty from the manufacturer? I'd I, uh, I can tell
2: you one thing. The, the new commercial for, the, for the, the electric pickup truck from Ford does advertise that it has yeah. the outlets in the back and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah. at least we could say that. That's right. But I've never seen that in any of the commercials for a Tesla or anything like that. Yeah.
0: But you still got to be able to charge the Tesla at some point, right? Yeah. But in a, I, in I, an I emergency, know. you could do it,
2: right? All I, all I would say for whoever asked that, that is a pretty expensive home generator.
3: Yep, and okay. we've got, I don't, I don't know if they'd buy it just as a generator, right? You know, does anybody really? I know a few people who. They, they dislike, <laughs> you know, Generac or Cummins enough to just go buy a Tesla and use that instead. Yeah. Um, and then someone just goes out, revs the engine, and, and you're good. Um, or oh, we have another question from the, the audience here. Let me, uh, okay, way, way in the back. What is the best and easiest setup for a battery backup power system for a sump pump? And this is for a, a pool house. Well, it has so an AC best, plug. Maybe, maybe maybe, it's a
1: joke. Shouldn't pools be what? Yeah, we should leave the water in the pool, right? But it's a pool house. Oh, it's the pool. Oh, house. a pool house. Yeah, okay. the storage stuff. So we have a sump pump in our house. It's in the residential home, not necessarily the pool house. But ours has a backup battery in there. And we actually had it many, many years ago. I mean, it, it was installed. I think we've been in the house about 20 years. And when we first moved in, we had that sump pump installed. And I think it's actually never kicked on until I it's actually bought a dehumidifier, and the dehumidifier is tired of manually emptying it. So I put the hose from the dehumidifier into the little sump pit, and it goes off because of that reason. And in twenty some for some you
4: know, reason, like because there's water in there. Yeah,
1: now, now it's going off, but <laughs> I never had an issue with it. Never so had an issue with it.
3: I, I think w- with batteries though, it works great. You can't rely on them indefinitely, right? It's going to run for days at most and you need to maintain them. I don't know, depending on the battery you have, you may need
1: to even replace them every several years. Yeah. One thing I do recommend if you have a sump pump that's a uh, battery backup is you can go to your local hardware store and you can buy these. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you sorry. can buy these moisture monitors and it's nice because it's a, it's a square piece of plastic, maybe about the size of the cell phone, maybe about that thick so it has some depth to it and you just rest it where you want. It has two little monitors on the bottom. For the sump, we actually park it right next to it, and it's, the monitor slides off, the little two electric uh, pads, little silver in color, and we can dangle it down into the pump. So if it gets to a certain level, it'll go off. And every now and then, when I kind of don't believe they're working, I just kind of spritz it with a little water,
2: and they work. So if you, if you read, they, they added to the question, pool house with has no basement. So the question would be, where is the water coming from that you want to pump out. Correct.
3: Yeah, why wouldn't it just flow over land? And so go away.
2: Into the pool. So while, while they update that and, and give us more specifics- um, Why doesn't this person call in? So to whoever- well, They're way yeah. in the back. So why don't you come on up? To, to, <laughs> to, to whoever's asking, <clears throat> you could buy a, a sump kit with a uh, battery backup. They come with usually two or one uh, deep cell uh, marine style batteries. They're the kind that have the little tops, uh, little- plastic tops that you could take out and put distilled water in. And usually, um, under normal use, those will last around five years. But they usually come with a kit. They'll come with a um, a control box. Um, And they're expensive. Yeah, they're not cheap. Um, But obviously, if something's going to get damaged in your basement or in this pool house, I believe they're well worth it. I've I've installed a whole bunch of them uh, to people in this town. Uh, It floods a lot. The sewer, it's an old town, and the sanitary and storm sewer are, are commingled. So, when you have a large storm, people's sanitary actually back up. Mm. Um, and for the ones who can keep up with a normal pump, it, it saves a lot. But um, we would need a little bit more information for a pool house that has no basement. We would want to know where the water is coming from and so on and you so know, when forth. when that
3: happens with the. Um the commingled uh, sanitary and, and storm. So I've heard a lot of strange stories, like like maybe some some backfeeding from the river because people say there's brown trout floating around in their basement. <laughs> Time out, we're ready. You know? yes.
1: Yep, we have a caller. <laughs> this guy, I'm not I'm no not more, sure how that works. No more sugar for Adam. Caller, are you there? All right.
3: Anybody there? <laughs> I don't know if they're endangered. This is Stephen from Westchester.
0: Hey, Stephen from Westchester. Is it Westchester <laughs> or in Pennsylvania or Westchester, New, New York?
1: York.
2: What do you think? I'm gonna go with New your York accent. New I'll York. say
1: Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so, what can we do
0: for you today, Stephen?
2: Oh, I, I'm just enjoying this generator uh, conversation here. What? do you um, but, but I, I have oh, a question: no, honestly, Who come puts, on. Who, who who puts a sun
0: pump in a pool house? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. Somebody else asked the question. <laughs> well, I don't this,
2: know. All, this no, is confidential. I believe it has a, a, a genuine reason why they asked. It just didn't give us enough information. I right. think it was a
1: trick question. Maybe it's sloping down, and the pool house is kind of like you know it, the but backyard. But it's like you said, then the
2: water should just go into the. Then you got to the yeah, yeah, well, If you've got great, then yeah, you should be fine, right? You don't have to worry about. Yeah, but get oh, the can we send you over the there
3: garden. to do an inspection right. and on see on what's going on with this pool house? Absolutely, it's hot. Take a dip in the pool while you're
2: at it, because I mean, one of the. Simplest Report answers back. would be if it was on a slab, you'd put a French drain in it, dig a big hole in one quarter, put some, put some gravel, put your, put your, a sump in, in as yeah. a kit, which comes in a little black, uh, arrangement. Uh, what would you call it? Like, um, what is what's that vessel called? The black, uh
0: like a, the, it's a, it's a the sump, housing, it's a the housing, housing. Yeah. yeah. The,
2: the pit, but it comes all in one kit. Right? Yeah. And Hope then that's how you would do it. Lose. That would be the quickest answer to that person if they didn't call back.
0: So Steve, do you have a, a, a sump? You don't have a sump in your pool house. I, I take it.
2: Well, uh, there's quite a few houses around here that, that probably do have sump pumps in their pool houses <laughs> because <laughs> their pool houses is the size of my house. Do they
3: have <laughs> any pool houses in their <laughs> sump pumps? Any pool so houses in their sumps?
2: pool
4: house <laughs> meant he was had a house in a pool. <laughs> Got it Could be right
3: Yeah That's right. probably what it is Th- Thank you Stephen. Thanks
2: for calling Steve Okay <laughs> That was funny <laughs> All right All right uh, Ray you were supposed to have the We could do another lightning
3: round While, while you get the next We could episode. yep Go for it Okay believe in God Yes Yes I thought this, no. no 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 Believe in the tooth fairy No No Yes No Yes <laughs>
0: Okay, we're on the same page. We are, we are, Gary. Keep going. All right, we we have a question we can't
3: throw on the display.
0: Believe in fairies. We got another question coming.
3: So, uh, this oh, I can't say that. This person's question is, uh,
4: I recently started uh, being more active and I'm noticing extreme amounts of pain in my right knee when I'm resting in a sitting
3: position or laying down. You got to eat more watch more television. Eventually the knee pain will go away. I wouldn't recommend amputation, although that would work as well. Um, we might have a, a little more, uh, constructive advice though from, from Gary. Oh, not me. Go to Ed. <laughs> All right, so I, I have We're going to gonna build up to Ed. You, you you're, you got, you're slightly, you know, more uh, background <laughs> than I do. And then the real answer is coming
4: from Ed. Well, I am a PT through trend the transitive property oh, okay through the wife
1: yeah <laughs> she is a very good physical therapist but i'm gonna pass this off that all right ed okay take it away you're the man so stevie I, I we heard you read that question did the listeners right now uh on the live feed hear that for, or should we repeat it you should repeat yeah it. they heard it. they okay, heard, it. They heard right. it okay great yeah. So I think in general, one of the things folks have to uh, realize when they start an exercise program, a lot of people have their favorite activities, whether it be running or, or jogging, um, swimming. Isn't that the same thing? Well, it depends, you know, on what they're doing. No, running and jogging, isn't that the same thing? Uh, no, running's
3: faster. It could be. Isn't it?
1: Jogging's slower, I think. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the activity is, what their favorite thing is, the important thing is to understand is to mix it up, right? So they don't have too many Biomechanical Right, So,
3: like, jog your mind, run your mouth. Uh, That kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Come on, that that qualifies as a dad joke, does it not? Let's hear it. There we go. So, the important thing to remember is to try and mix up the biomechanical stresses in the body, right? If you're doing the same thing constantly, you're going to be put at risk, right, for some kind of biomechanical issue. So, that's the first thing. The other thing to understand is where your starting point is. So, for instance, if I'm someone maybe who I know, I'm a little bit overweight, maybe the doctor has talked to me about a weight issue. You're, you're not,
4: you look good. No, well, you're, you. I, I think
1: you look okay, Ed. Thank you, but hypothetically speaking. But below the table, we can't tell. You've <laughs> got a
0: huge yeah. fat
3: ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there would be, be nothing wrong with that if I did. But if you're someone who has, you know, someone who's carrying some extra weight, now you're looking at choosing an activity. You can be choosing a weight bearing activity, which will be putting a lot of weight through the lower extremities, through your legs, or you can start to begin with a non-weight-bearing activity, which isn't gonna be bearing weight through the legs. And if you're someone who has a lot of weight that you know you have to lose, that choice is gonna be even more important. You might be better off ch- choosing to start with a non-weight-bearing activity, maybe sitting on a, a bicycle, a recumbent cycle, things of that nature, where you're not putting weight through the legs. So, That'll make it So, I mean, difference. to be fair, they could have knee problems because a biomechanical could be in a bike and you're
4: not fitted properly, you're going to have knee problems. It, it could be have knee problems because they're trying to run and they have the wrong shoes. I mean, there's so Absolutely. many different things going there's on. There's so
1: many different things. So all the things that so I'm so saying So stop by next Sunday and we'll do an analysis and figure it out. <laughs> you can, but generally speaking, right, if you do have a lot of weight to lose, maybe trying to start off with a non-weight-bearing activity, or at least mix it in with the weight-bearing activity and not just doing the a weight-bearing activity consistently every day.
0: So you're saying don't start with pickleball. <laughs> it may not be the best choice, but it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. So we we had the uh the static, the first official Addict static pickleball uh game today before the show. So Gary, Ed, I was I, and
4: uh, I think I was undefeated today. <laughs> I
3: don't think so. You can play singles? No, yeah, we're playing oh, doubles, 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 yeah, doubles, yeah, doubles it Always doubles, doubles? No, no they, you
1: can, so you play, can singles, play singles, but it's okay. commonly singles. What, common, what, do you, common. what do you call? Uh, the, I think Gary lost three games. What do you call
2: the orbital? Is is that what I, I call the, 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 uh, the, the? elliptical. Yeah, the elliptical.
1: Yeah, the elliptical is pretty good, uh, you know, form of exercise, but that is weight bearing, right? Because you're standing on your feet. Well, but it's not pounding. Well, it's the not the the only reason weight weight why I it. say no, it is that
2: I suffer from all my joints, pre-existing, you know, genetic condition. But when I was at the gym, that's what I preferred. Yeah. It, I really like it. it. Maybe it you hurt. should have
3: more joints. That's the problem you know, for the pain.
2: That's why I don't go to the gym anymore. Yeah. Because you have too many joints. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing for the caller with that uh, question, you know, regarding the, the knee pain with the exercise is to understand that you want to try and differentiate in terms of pain around a joint. You know, particularly with the knee, we're looking at pain either around the kneecap or on either side of the kneecap. If you're sitting and you kind of put your hand on your knee on either side of the kneecap, you'll kind of find two soft spots. If you have pain along that area, then that usually is indicative more of pain from the joint. Whereas some people complain of pain, but it's more in the muscular meaty area on their thigh towards their knee or in the back of their calf, sometimes that may be muscular soreness. So trying to differentiate that, you know, is is gonna be important. And the last thing is, if it actually is coming from the joint, if you're looking to see a specialist, either your local physical therapist in your town or an orthopedic doctor would really give you the best answer. The primary care, they're very well-intentioned, you know, and they're there a lot of times to help you out, but see the specialist.
3: All right, we have another caller. So uh, there, a um, question for you. Yeah. Um, You know, no pain, no gain. Should you always just try and push through it, or should you never try and push through it unless it's like typical muscle soreness that you get after the gym?
1: So, that's a great question. A lot of times, what I tell folks is to try and use rest as a monitor. So, for instance, let's just say you're doing something with strengthening and you're doing a strengthening exercise. Maybe you're doing three sets of an exercise. Midway through the second set, you think to yourself, boy, this hurts. I'm not sure this is good or bad. I'm having pain. So, you stop and rest. And then after your rest, you kind of pick back up what you're doing and it doesn't feel the same. It feels easier, not as painful or maybe not pain at all. That's good because it changed with rest as opposed to same scenario, you're in your second middle of the second set, I feel pain. Stop, you rest a couple of minutes. As soon as you go right back to it, the first repetition right after the rest, it just feels exactly the same that's usually an indicator. You need to either change the weight you're doing, maybe doing something wrong, maybe doing something inappropriate for you individually. So that is a good indicator, you know, in terms of general realities to try to differentiate. Got it. Gary, question for you.
4: All right, we got somebody who's asking, how has your running workouts changed as you've gotten older? Um, They become harder. All right, next question. (laughs) I could talk for hours. H- on harder because changed. you're
3: trying to do what you used to do That's part of it. I,
4: There's so. I mean, I, honestly, I could probably talk about this for hours. Um,
0: Don't do that.
3: I won't. But we have a caller, so we'll have All to right, call. come you back. You get your wish. You're done with that one. Yeah. Come back to it. All, All right. Hello, caller. Hello. Hello, caller.
0: Hello.
4: Hello.
3: Is this Steven? <laughs>
0: this, this is Ray from Marlboro, New
2: Jersey. <laughs> hey, how you doing there, Ray?
3: Do you have a, um, a sump pump in your pool house? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: you really- no. Actually, I have, a, I have a question for
1: Ed. Yes, go ahead there, Ray. What can I help you out with?
2: Well, you know, I've been sleeping on my side, and that shoulder now is starting to bother me. I know don't do that and sleep on the other shoulder, but that doesn't work. Um, is there um, an exercise I can do to kind of alleviate that pain?
1: So there is. The, the first thing you want to do is... <clears throat> If you're looking at you know, the biomechanical stresses in terms of your positioning, in this case you're saying sleeping on your side, you're right, you know, trying to sleep on the other side is gonna be helpful. The other thing you can try and do is use pillows or rolled up towels to try and help you position when you're uh, starting to fall asleep immediately. Everyone's gonna move when they sleep So it's only going to help you so long. You know, I can't really tell, you know, how much you're going to be moving around when you sleep, but using pillows to try and uh, help position yourself is going to be key.
3: Where exactly would he put them if it's a shoulder thing?
1: So what you want to do is you want to put your arm in a position of neutral. And what neutral would mean is if you imagine your arm in a sling and then have your arm out about three or four inches away from your body, when you lay down, you want to have pillows or rolled up towels underneath your upper arm to support that. Otherwise the arm would just kind of fall back. But it is other arm that's bothering him. Either one, either this side or that's whichever one is bothering him. So flip over. Well, what'll happen is if he's on his back, right? It's going to be the arm that he's on. If it's, if you're going to be sleeping on that side, that's painful, it may not help as much. So you're looking at trying to change positions somehow, right? So instead of just going to the other side, laying your back may give you a little more stability because you're going to have more surface area that you're laying on versus just sleeping on the other side. Near the side, you're more likely to move around. So the back, would be the way to try and go. So what it sounded about, to
0: me like his question was, "I want to keep doing it, but I want to make the pain go away." It's possible well, the
3: bed is too firm. What, it, what, what if he cut a shoulder-shaped hole out of his bed so that when he sleeps, he could put it in there, and it, it's resting I, free, and there's no uh,
1: less, you know, less weight on it. Well, a lot of times, and it's difficult to say, you know, without actually. How about we seeing ask? You he's on the call
4: i I did that i I cut the hole in the mattress and Mm now my my (laughs) arm falls asleep
2: when i when i when i when i sleep because my arm's now dangling through the hole
4: you weren't supposed (laughs) to cut it all the way through It's just (laughs) a divot yeah yeah (laughs) an indentation
3: yeah think think of a you know nine iron you're you're trying to hit 150 yards is that that size divot is what you want you don't want to go terribly deep i've seen him i've seen
1: his nine iron it's deep
0: it doesn't. It doesn't go. A, it doesn't go 150 yards. And it's a
1: deep divot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In terms of the exercises, you know that you should do, it's going to be difficult How you to
3: say. do know the
2: caller? I was about to say. How do you know the caller? <laughs> it's Ray Lewis. It's him calling.
3: <laughs> it's, I don't baffle. Doesn't sound like a linebacker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the specific exercise, Ray, it'll be difficult to say for your specific situation without actually doing a physical exam. But what you would want to do, right, is check with your medical provider, make sure you're clear for exercises, as long as they cleared you for exercises in general. He's talking about a shoulder. Plus, I hate the the Go well, Steelers. What that's what I'm talking about, right. Okay, So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- so, thanks for calling in, Ray, but make sure you check with your medical <laughs> provider. Okay. And Thank the you. guy who sold you the bed.
3: How do we know, Ed, how do we know yeah. this isn't like the, the princess and the pea? Could be,
1: could be. But what winds up happening is, you know, in terms of the mattress, right, where you're going to be sitting there thinking, oh, it could be too hard, you know, it could be too soft. We're kind of drawing conclusions. So typically when I'm actually working with a patient, we're looking at biomechanical stress that they're reporting to you. And things that you're actually trying to put them through as you go through an examination and things that will change their symptoms.
3: Right. So you would ask them to bring the bed in with him next time.
1: (laughs) No. No, no, no. What winds up happening is when we actually see them in person, we're actually trying to elicit a change. Right. We're trying to make a change. Right. A lot of times in therapy, one of the ways that we know to try and refer patients out when this is not an appropriate patient for therapy is I can't change anything. Right, no matter what I do, he's like, "No, no, it's the same. No, it's the same. No, it's the same." And so, I, if I can't make a change, make it feel better or worse, then in my mind, that brings up a red flag. When do you want right? to make it feel worse? Well, I don't want to, but I might do something that that happens. Right. So when you're troubleshooting, you know, you're kind of going through things, and you think, "Oh, you know what? That's not you know the direction I want to head in." But clearly, it's responding to mechanical forces. Got it. Or right? just,
3: you know, you could have a sadistic physical therapist yeah. who just. <laughs>
2: I don't know know exactly (laughs) what to do, you know, to to worsen it. I could tell you what solved mine. I had similar things like that. I bought a body pillow, not the one that's half, you know, I don't know how to explain, but it's both ways, the whole length of your body. That is, best thing in the world. I love it. Yeah.
1: Having a lot of different pillows, a lot of different towel rolls, you know, kind of propping yourself up. You can prop your
2: arm up. You can prop your leg up. You can put it in between
1: your legs. It's the best thing. It's one of the best things because to have someone say, you know, to ask them, oh, is your mattress firm? Is it soft? You know, is always going to be subjective. So a lot of times people go, oh yeah, yeah. It's very firm compared to what, you know, if you actually went to their house and touched it, maybe it's not. So that's going to be very subjective. So you kind of have to take that out of the equation because you're right. You know, you said it jokingly, but you can't have them bring it in. So we're looking at that as a factor that I can't really you know, affect a change or get a, a clear answer to. So looking at other factors, Speaking but the pillows out, yeah. and the body pillows and the towel rolls, they work out awesome because the more you can support, right? Now you're taking that soft bed, firm <clears> bed <throat> kind of out of the equation because you're making everything supported and more stable. And typically on your back, kind of like we are saying before, you have more surface area that you're laying on and people tend to be a little bit more stable, but they're still gonna move around when they sleep.
3: Yeah. You, so, you mentioned um, clear answers, so I'm going to throw that back to Gary because we didn't get a, a wait, clear on. answer on the running. Is our is
1: Ray from Marlboro still on the call? Ray, still there? No, uh, thanks gone. for calling in, Ray. All Take right. care, Gary. Right. I got a question for you on that running. What do you think about Zone Two? I have found that when I get older, I realize the importance of Zone Two. When What's Zone running. Like Two? What do you heart think? Heart rate training. Wait, um, wait, whoa, 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 Say that again. It's heart rate training. So there's five technically five zones.
3: Um, what are they? One, two, three, four, and five. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't skip any of the numbers and go hey, to the six. It's yeah, just it's consistent. Right, yeah. Yeah. So.
4: Um, what zone one? What are they? So Low heart rate trying, up to high right. heart rate. So five would be like, um, is considered like above your anaerobic threshold. So it's like sprinting. So if you're sprinting, you're getting your heart rate up to so number five. Max. Uh, zone yeah. five.
1: It, it's a higher number.
4: Uh, I don't necessarily go by zones um, because they're useless unless you know what your zones are. Wait, and why did you ask about zone two? Zone two is like an easy recovery type run. So it would be like you running with way.
1: Wow. Okay. So all, all my life when I was running, I was, <laughs> I was running way, way too intense because I would run so infrequently when I ran, I figured out, oh, you know.
3: But if you're going to run once or twice a week, that's okay. Well, you're yeah, you ran know, it. Look, you got, you run at the brink of a heart attack. If you don't puke <laughs> when you hit the finish
1: line, you didn't run hard enough. That's what I've always done. But, you know, with a lot of research that I'm reading and, you know, re- just kind of analyzing what I'm doing for my own exercise, I realized, you know, zone two is pretty important. That should kind of be the well, base. You do need that. But I I, yeah. I think as it come down to, as I said, most people think I'm going to train in
4: these zones. Um, and they don't know what their zones are. So if you've not not had a test to know what your zones are, and you just say, well, my max is 220 minus my age, and then come up with these numbers, it's going to be
0: wrong
3: for most people. Um, How do you get that that test? Yeah, without getting into the details, is there a way to define your zones? There's different ways of doing it. Um, Some watches...
4: Some watches will do it for you and some, you have to have the right information. Uh, Like if you do, some watches will give you a lactate threshold, which you have to wear a chest strap to do, and if you do that, because they give me my zones off, that's gonna be fairly accurate. Does it have to be a Garmin watch? It does not, and probably better not to be. Um, But also, if you're gonna use wrist-based heart rate, wrist-based heart rate is okay but i don't think it's great for doing a running activity especially the faster you go because a lot of people don't understand how that works wrist I, I agree with you so wait you're, you're, I'm your explain. heartbeat
3: here is not, not the same as that's here? not a heartbeat so i'll explain
4: <laughs> um when you wear a chest strap it's reading ekg so it's going to be accurate what your heart rate is when you're wearing a uh, wrist base it's sending a light beam through your skin and trying to read blood flow um if you're not wearing it properly like loose it's going to be incorrect but when you're running the harder you're running and the l- more this moves, the more it's gonna be off. Yeah. So if you want to have an accurate heart rate while you are, we got bugs in the attic. <laughs> if you want an accurate heart rate while you're running, you're better off having a chest strap. I agree. In my opinion, I don't I don't trust wrist baits. So just for, more, more accurate. More accurate. It's gonna be like 99.9% accurate instead of maybe 70%, 80%, 90% depending on the day. Now for all day activity, these wrist-based heart rates are great. But for activities, And the bigger the watch, the heavier the watch, the more it's gonna move around.
1: Yeah. I worked with a cardiologist before. He told me the same thing. You know, he felt
4: I'm as good as a cardiologist. I didn't (laughs) even go to medical school. Of course.
1: (laughs) You're better.
0: Better. Cheaper. That was way cheap, way more efficient. I'm not cheaper, I'm less expensive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but a lot of research articles I read, same thing. Right? They're talking about, you know, kind of staying away from the, the wrist monitors and more in the chest straps. You know, which is yeah. what I use. I, I think they're great. I think it's very well worth the investment. And like Gary said, there's a lot of different companies that make them and it's worthwhile, right? <laughs> so back to the question, zone two.
4: So d- zone two oh. is basically a, a very easy recovery type of run. Is, is it even a run
3: though? If it's just above, is one resting pulse? No, that would probably, I guess technically it's a zero. So guess. let's get his information. I don't oh, okay. information. So, 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 so I don't. Okay. Really zone go by zone, so I don't what number?
1: Yeah, so for so me. His zone two, let him say what number it is. Yeah, so for me, it's up to 135 on my heart rate. What is your max, and how do you know what your max is? So for me, uh, if you use a two twenty minus your age, it's not right it's, for most people. So let's not use that. It's not accurate. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so that's that's generally good for the general population who are going to do general exercise who aren't really going to be into running that specifics, but just doing general exercise like maybe our earlier caller with the knee problem. But if people are going to be very much into their exercise and they want to exercise enthusiast, if you Google online, modified carvonin is a nice formula. It takes into consideration your resting heart rate. Yes. So that can be a bit better. If you, have, if you know your
4: max so, yes. and you know your resting heart rate, you can get better accurate. Yes. Jones as so using that well. formula. One,
3: 135 beats per minute. I mean, there's some activity there. It's not hard. Can I say, is that like a marathon pace? What no. you run at? You run well, hard? It depends on a person. Yeah. Everybody's different.
2: Yeah. All right. So what's your number? In a marathon. For a marathon? Just, like just
4: 155, 160? So for a marathon? 15, 20. But, but I think it's important, like, I'll tell you some facts. You um, Most people say 220 miles your age is your max heart rate. It's very different for many people. I have yes, people who are older than me who still have maximum heart rates over 200. And I know some people who are, and also doesn't mean you're, 200? doesn't mean a maximum heart rate 200 means you're a better runner. And it doesn't mean if your maximum heart rate is 160, you're a worse runner. Because I have people who are also older than me and they've never had a maximum heart rate, even I think at 160. Um, but they did a study many, many, many years ago. They took, so I think it was like the 1968 Olympics. They took 25. I think they're all runners, but we'll just say runners. They took either way. They took athletes, um, took their maximum heart rate. And 25 years later, they took their maximum heart rate again. And based off the formula, they should all have been roughly 25 beats lower. But the, the athletes who continued running through those 25 years, their maximum heart rate dropped less than five beats. And the people who stopped dropped 25. So you can keep your maximum heart rate up higher if you continue exercising, right.
3: another right. reason why exercise is good. Yeah. If, if you stop and then start again, can you recover what you've lost? I,
1: they I don't have really an answer for
0: that. Yeah.
3: Why not? The answer is yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other great point about the running that you mentioned Gary is the caller from the earlier with the knee pain. You know, there's actually a, a nice study uh, that was done a couple of years ago and it was looking at sedentary population, uh, they, what they considered to be moderate amount of running Right in this case, it was less than 70 miles a week. It's moderate. Right? That's moderate. That's what they consider. And then how moderate? Yeah, 70. It was, a, it was a lot. It was a high threshold, right? It's like what? It's like 10 miles a day, right? It's yeah. crazy, it's right? I like 10. And if you're, a week? if you're an elite, you know these ultra marathoners that are just, you know, putting in these crazy miles, right? They're looking at incidents of of knee pain, right? Knee arthritis in particular, and they're saying that the ultra high volume of running, right is actually more at risk, right? Than the moderate runners, right? The sedentary is actually the highest risk, but they were pretty darn close to wow. the ultra high. Yeah, because it's a lot of mileage, right? And that's kind of what I was alluding to in the beginning, when that caller had called before about the exercise is mixing it up and changing the mechanical stress, right? Is gonna be good. You know, there's gonna be a lot of other factors in there, um, but it's always gonna be helpful, right? Cause so you're w- changing the, the forces should, on the system. I never got to really answer the question on how running has
4: changed, uh, training has changed since I've gotten older, or as we've gotten older. Um, hey, why don't you answer that question? I'm gonna answer it in in less than one day. I mean, I could talk about this for a day, but we'll talk about it less. Um, the the problem is as you get older, it's not like you wake up one day, I'm like, okay, my body's different, it's older, I cannot handle doing what I used to do a year or two, three years ago. You just do it and you're like, why do I feel so tired? Why is it taking me longer? Why am I not running as well, if that's what you're looking at? Um, or if you're going to the gym, why am I not as strong? Um, and then you start realizing, well, I'm getting older and you have to accept the fact that you are and and say, I'm going to do less or or change. Um, so even like in the gym, I used to go three days a week and then I was like, man, I'm feeling worse and worse and worse. So I changed it to two days. I'm like, I started getting stronger again. Um, running, there's only so many days now I can do a hard run. Um, it just takes so much longer to recover, but it's not like, you know, you just know things don't feel Right what do I do? Let's try going last, And it's a, it's a very big balance. of trying to figure out too little, too much. Um, So it's taken me a while. And the older I get, the more I have to keep adjusting. But um, I mean, I've tried for over 10 years, finding a coach who understands
1: masters runners and surprisingly not many do. I think your point about, you know, that recovery and rest is key. You know, it's so, so important. And I think in a, a previous episode, you had talked one time about during the run sometimes that you would solve, you know, problems. You know, you think about life issues and you come up with different things. And I have found that as I get older, when I run, I really enjoy the mental discipline aspect much more now that I'm older, as opposed to the physical benefits. Before when I was younger, I found that, man, I really want to run to release stress and, you know, get my workout in. And now I feel like it's just Mostly for me, like me mental discipline. Me yeah. So, yeah,
4: I, you know, that's a good point because whenever there's anything difficult, I don't necessarily do anything, it doesn't matter. Like, let's say you're going to dentist and you gonna get a, a filling and it's like, okay, I got three minutes. This is gonna really hurt. It's like, I can do, that's like, I. it's like I'm running a hard mile. It's like, I can handle this. Uh, so when you're doing these things, you're building up your pain tolerance. I mean, that's part of the thing of training. When you train, you're not training to be faster, You're training to be able to tolerate pain more.
1: Right, and a lot of research has shown, and I know we talked a little bit about it with our, Outrunning Cancer episode, if you haven't seen it. But or listen to it, because you know, we didn't have that it. video. Yeah. No, that was no video? Okay, yeah. listen to it. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. That a lot of research recently has shown that one of the best things you can do for chronic pain and treating chronic pain is physical activity, right? Exercise is really one of the best things you can do for chronic pain. Got it. All right, we
0: wrap up the. We're going to wrap up the stream tonight. Uh, thanks everybody for watching and supporting the show. Don't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you ever have any questions while we're offline, submit them on the website at ecstaticpod.com, uh, or dial in next time at uh, uh, or dial in next time to watch on YouTube, or um, find some other way to send us a question. And
3: next week, prize for the, our hundredth caller. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Atticstatic Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and feel free
4: to leave a comment below. Or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com.
0: And stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.